Amen and amen. All right, let me ask you to stand. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And stand for reverence of the word. We're going to read out of verses 8 through 16. It's interesting that in the Old Testament, when people got together, as a matter of fact, uh, during the exile after the, the Israelites came back to Jerusalem, they found the book of the law. Nehemiah was about to read it. And it says in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 3, it says, And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. So in honor of the Old Testament, we're going to stand for a quarter of the day. No, just kidding. <laughs> just until we finish reading this portion of Scripture. And I'm going to ask you to, to follow along. I'm reading out of the New International, uh, excuse me, the English Standard Version, the ESV. Uh, and I'm reading verse, chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. And then I'll go back and we'll, we'll cover what we, we covered last week. But 8 through 16 says this. <clears throat> but even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation with regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater, as he remembered the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice, because I have complete confidence in you. Father in heaven, help us to take these words from Paul as he directed them to the church that was out of control and how he had to reprimand and rebuke and, and admonish this group of believers. And as these believers, they received the letter and they received the admonishment. Help us to understand why admonishment is important in our life, why rebuke is important, though we may not like it, though it may cause us to grieve, why it is that this rebuke this admonishment, this discipline that needs to take place in my life is useful for your kingdom. So, Father, we just thank you for this time. Take your word and help us to apply it into our life, we pray. In Jesus' name, and we all say amen and amen. You may be seated. As I mentioned, we have been going through the book of First Second Corinthians. We've already done First Corinthians. And at this point in time, we are at a point where Paul is talking about the letter that he wrote now, it's interesting because we don't have that letter, and many people point back to 2 Corinthians, but the things that he's talking about here don't have anything to do in 1 Corinthians. And as a matter of fact, even before 1 Corinthians, we have found that there was another letter. So in essence, Paul, at least that we know of, wrote four letters. The letter before 1 Corinthians, the letter we now have as 1 Corinthians, a letter in between 1 and 2 Corinthians, and then the letter that we call 2 Corinthians. So as, so as far as we know, 
He wrote at least four letters. And the one thing that we've learned, at least from that, is that Paul was really concerned and passionate about the people in Corinth. Corinth was a city that was just, it was a very sexualized, very uh, ugly city, I guess you would say. As I said a few weeks ago, the people that were uh, coming from there and just doing whatever they wanted to do, they would call those individuals Corinthianized. Oh, you've been Corinthianized because of the way you live, your lifestyle. And it was the title that they carried happily. Oh, yeah, you know, I've, I've been to Vegas. You know, whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But not here. Whatever happened in Corinth, they just took it and, and spread it all over the place. And this is where Paul planted a church. And this church was letting a lot of the outside influence come in. If we remember 1 Corinthians, they, there was divisions. There were uh, there were people that were talking that were from Paul, were from Peter, were from Apollos, and were just, you know, all these different groups. They were suing each other. There was sexual immorality within the church. They were misusing the Lord's Supper, which we're going to have today. The Lord's table was, was being abused. The spiritual gifts were being misused and abused. There was so much that was going on within the church that Paul just had to continue to reprimand and continue to call them. And so he, ha- he heard some report, and if you turn back with me to chapter 2 of uh, 2 Corinthians, he heard a report, and so he wrote a letter. And when he wrote this letter, he sent it with his, uh, his confidant, his, his faithful servant, his friend Titus. And he sent it to Titus, and, and as he sent this letter, we come to find out that Paul was anxiously waiting to hear back from Titus. They didn't have the courier service that we have today. It would take weeks, even months sometimes, to get a response from the, the information that you would send. And in chapter 2, verses 1, he goes on to say, For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. So he has already visited in such a way that it was painful. He had to reprimand, he had to admonish, he had to exhort the church for the things that were going on in the church. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? In other words, Paul says, you know, I know I'm going to have to make this visit. I've got to do something about this. And if I go, it's going to cause you pain. And after all that I do, who's going to to welcome me? You guys are just going to be all mad at me because I just yelled at you. And so Paul says, you know, instead what I did is I wrote you a letter. And he says, and I wrote in verse 3, and I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer the pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much, much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. In essence, Paul was saying, look, this hurt me more than you think that it intended to hurt you. I I didn't want to write this letter. As a matter of fact, that was the last thing I wanted. But you got to know that I, and, and how you know that I love you and how you know that I am truly concerned for you is because I am sharing with you God's truth in the things that are going on in your life that aren't right. And I think one of the things that's happened within our church and within our community is we're just afraid to tell people, hey, you know, that's not right. You are not living the godly lifestyle that you proclaim to be living. And one of the things that happens with that is that all of a sudden people get mad and they leave and they get, you know, whatever the case may be. We talked about that last week. But Paul's, Paul's concern for the, 
for Titus, Paul's concern for the church was so that he, he went to Macedonia and he waited for Titus to see maybe I can catch him in the rebound instead of him having to come see me all the way out here. He went up to Macedonia and then, and then he went a little bit further and, and, and all this time he's waiting for, for Titus and there was, there was an opportunity for ministry and Paul says, you know, but my, I'm so conflicted. I know that I can do some very great ministry here in Troas, but I got to hear from Titus. And finally, Titus comes back. And finally, Paul is writing to them after all that he has said to them. He's, he's, he's talking to them. He, a few weeks ago, we talked about not being associated with, uh, with non-believers. He says, do not be unequally yoked. You know, and being unequally yoked is in the Old Testament. It says, don't put a donkey and don't put an ox together. Well, that naturally makes sense because one is heavier than the other, and the other one's a little stronger, the other one's a little bit more stubborn. But the, the, whole, the whole purpose of that was more to say, look, don't, pe- don't put a clean animal, uh, an ox, with an unclean animal, which is a donkey. You just don't do that. Don't put them together. It, it, it causes all kinds of havoc. Don't be unequally yoked with non-believers, Paul is saying. And he's telling the church this. Don't try to do ministry with people that they may have the same maybe political views as you. They may have the same social views with you. They may have the same uh, ideas as you, but they're not grounded in the Word of God. Their grounding is somewhere else. And, and so as we talked about the, the, the being unequally yoked, and I mentioned, I says, you know, if you, if you were to Google this and if you were to ask, how many religions are out there? It would say we have 4,800 or so religions, and 12 of the prominent ones are the ones that probably stand out the most. But the Bible is very clear, beloved, that there are only two, two religions. Jesus said, you know, there's a wide gate and there's a narrow gate. Jesus said there's good fruit, there's bad fruit. And we know that being equally, unequally yoked with either one or the other, it's always been just two. And everything else that is not of God, is not from, from the Word of God, is all lumped up, all lumped into what's called demonic or satanic. And, and so Paul is saying, get yourself grounded in the Word of God. And so as he's sharing with us these things on, on what we are to do, and, and, and so we, we talked about uh, Paul's joy, and uh, we talked about that last week from verses 2 to, to verse 7, so, so today we're in verses 8, and he says, So for even if you, I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you. And he sees that now because Titus has showed up. And, and, and so what Paul is trying to share with them and with us, he's, he's sharing with us today, he says, you know, admonishment, rebuke is needed. How many of you guys really like to be rebuked? Okay. <laughs> not really, right? I, I don't. Uh, however, it has happened. I, have, I had a, a mentor that would have to rebuke me from time to time. Uh, it, uh, maybe you might know him. His name is Rob Zinn, and he was my mentor. I used to call him my tormentor uh, because there were just things that he would have to bring to light and show me and help me. There, there have been people in my life uh, prior to that, a pastor that helped bring me up, uh, Daniel Sotelo. I mean, I mean God, he's gone on to be with the Lord uh, just recently, but uh, a very faithful man and always sharing with me and showing me what the Word said. And so I try to put myself under the tutelage of those that are a little bit higher than me, especially in the spiritual realm and in the educational realm. And, and even recently, I've realized, you know, I, I don't have anybody else that I've been able to be under for some time. And so 
what I did is I, I went back to school. I said, you know, I got to get a professor or a teacher or somebody to, at, at least I can have somebody, if I need to, admonishment or at least to be able to bounce ideas from and receive more information and more, more learning and instruction. Not that your pastor needs, well, yes, he does. <laughs> not, not that you're, I don't have it all put together. I've not learned it all. Though I've been to school for many years, I'm still needing direction. We all do. And, and to put yourself in a place like that, is scary, number one. It is. And, and, and it can it could hurt. But I, I think that we, and I believe that it, with what Paul has shown us here is that we need admonishment. And here's why it's important to have admonishment in my, in, li- in my life. Number one, it helps me to mature in my walk. It helps me to mature in my Christian walk. It helps you to grow, helps you to develop, helps you to, to be more of what you're supposed to be. There are a lot of people that tell you, you know, all you have to do is dig deep inside of your heart and become a better person. That's not what Jesus Christ said. That's not what God said. God said that, that he wants you to become more like Jesus Christ, not like yourself, not like your mentor, not like any other motivational speaker, but he wants you to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. Paul says, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I'd not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while as it is. I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. Repentance has been used in so many different ways and, and has been misused and, and probably misunderstood. I'm going to qu- try to go over that a little bit with you today. And he says, for, I, for you felt a godly grief that you suffered no loss through us. It, they weren't defensive. A lot of times when we're admonished, we get defensive. We get, you know, hey, whoa, 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 whoa who do you think you are? We, we get mad. We get, you know, upset at somebody pointing something at us. And one of the things that most people do, and some of us do, is we start getting not only defensive, but we start getting, you know, offensive. Well, what about you? We deflect. And what about what you've done? And what about what you, what about him? What, you know, we start pointing to everybody else. Don't just point at me. And what Paul says is that they didn't do that. They might have grieved, but they internalized, they took it. And he knows this because, well, we'll see, we'll see here in just a little bit, Titus gave him that report. And he says their, their sorrow was according to the will of God. It was the healing, transforming sorrow for sin that God intended them to feel. Paul had wanted them to feel that sorrow, that hurt, that, that, that pain, that anguish that comes with, you know, you were wrong. You are in sin. And I'm not trying to tell you this to say that I'm better than you. I'm not trying to tell you this so that you can feel bad and, and leave the place. I want you to grow in your walk. I want you to grow as a Christian, as a believer, to become more like Jesus Christ. And, and this is a theme that has been throughout the Old Testament. If you look at your outlines in Psalms 141, David said, Let a righteous man strike me. Now look at that. Let a righteous man strike me. In other words, he is saying, you know, I need sometimes to be corrected with the rod and the staff. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. In other words, yes, it hurts. Yes, it's painful. But what what David is saying here is that we need that correction. And ultimately, it brings healing. The Proverbs, they, they're very, Paul, uh, excuse me, Solomon is very clear. He says, do not reproof a scoffer. Okay, be careful on who it is that you reproof. Be careful on who it is that you're going to try to give ad- admonition to. You know, a lot of times when you try to reproof a scoffer, somebody that just doesn't want to hear it, somebody that just is way out there, no matter how much you try, they always tend to bring you down to their level. And uh, 
we'll see that sometimes arguing with the fool just makes you more to be out more of a fool than they are. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. In Proverbs 27, 5 and 6, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Amen? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Last week, I mentioned to you that we need to, uh, to, to be able to talk with love and to share in love and be able to tell people in love uh, what it is that's going on. When you talk to people, when you share people, when you, when you help people in love, it brings maturity. Uh, in, in Ecclesiastes 7, it is better for a man to hear the rebuke of a wise man to hear the songs than to hear songs of a fool. And then in, uh, in, in Luke 17, he says, pay attention, Jesus says, and he's talking about the, the brother that sinned. Pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And now repentance, as I said, repentance is something that we really have to look at. Repentance, we preach it. You hear people talking about repent and, and, and be saved. And, and repentance is sometimes overlooked when we, talked about, when we talk to people about Jesus Christ, of committing their life to Christ. We, we often say something, you need to commit your life to Christ. You need to receive Jesus as your personal Savior, as if it all depends on you. We say, receive Jesus, as if Jesus is standing there saying, please, just, just receive me, and as if I am wanting to give Jesus the chance to be my Savior. You know, I, and, and we, we, we stand there thinking, well, okay, I, I'm going to go ahead and just let you be my Savior. Now let me see what you can do. And, and we put Jesus in that position where in actuality, beloved, we should be saying, Jesus, receive me. Receive me a sinner. Receive me a broken vessel, a sinner that has violated your word, a sinner that has taken your word and just taken it for granted, a sinner that has offended a holy God. Jesus, will you receive me? And Jesus, of course, when you come to him with a repented heart, with a broken heart, with, with, a, with nothing to offer to give, and when you come to Jesus Christ in that manner, yes, he receives you. It's not you receiving him, it's him receiving us. See, number two, it helps me, admonition helps me in my life to mature in repentance. In repentance, as a matter of fact, Paul says in verse 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. No one who truly repents will ever regret it or the sorrow that led to it when you truly, genuinely repent because it leads to salvation. Now, Paul is talking here about the repentance that you and I need to do on a regular basis, but it does extend more to the salvation aspect of it as well. The, the repentance that you and I have to do against one another as we offend one another. But the repentance that leads to salvation, which, which it does. And, and I, I cannot repent of something that I don't even think that I've done anything wrong. And when I was a reprobate, when I was a sinner, when I was in my muck, I had no inclination of wanting to do anything with God. Now, there's a difference of wanting the things of God, but I didn't want anything to do with God. I wanted the peace that God provided. I wanted the salvation, because I didn't want to go to hell. I, I wanted the joy that I 
heard other Christians experience. I wanted the, 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 the freedom to be able to, to lift up my hands and worship God. I wanted, I wanted those things that God gave me. I wanted life. I wanted happiness. I wanted health. I wanted those things that were promised to people that came to Jesus Christ if they would receive him. But I didn't want God telling me what to do. I didn't want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. There's a huge difference. Repentance, genuine repentance, leads you to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You can't separate the two. When you repent of your sin, when you repent and, and, and you go to what Jesus Christ is calling you to do, then he becomes your Lord and he calls the shots. You submit, you surrender, you fall back. Please receive me. Receive me, Jesus Christ. But in my reprobated mind, in my downfallen mind, I could not do that because that wasn't my intention. See, God had to open my eyes. God had to make me alive. God had to bring me to the point that I could repent, that I can come to a point and see my sinful state. This is why the gospel is so important. The gospel has to be proclaimed in such a way that people see their fallen state. Yes, people want salvation, but they also need to desire the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You need to desire it. I need to desire it. That's where repentance comes in, and we'll see this here in just a little bit. True biblical repentance is, is not psychological. It's not an emotional human remorse, seeking merely to relieve the stress and, and improve my circumstances. See, see, biblical remorse or biblical repentance is not like that. Though, though Those are the things that happen. When I repent and, I, and I'm Jesus Christ becomes my Lord, it does lift this huge burden off my back. I was sharing this information with somebody just yesterday, and after I, we were done praying, he says, you know, it's like, it's like this weight just came off of me. Exactly. Everything that you've been looking for that God can give you, he wants to give you, but that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for that relief of it. We're not looking for lordship. When we understand that we need to surrender to his lordship, to what it is that he wants of us. That's when biblical repentance takes place. But it's the relief of the emotion, the psychological, the, all the drama that's gone on in my life that I want to get rid of. God, take care of this. Get rid of this. Get it away from me. And Jesus is saying, I want to be the Lord of your life. Yeah, you know, maybe, but I, I, I don't want to be on drugs. I don't want to be on alcohol. I want my family back together. I want this. You know, I want that God. If you give me that, and we start to barter with God. If you fix my life, if you fix my health, if you fix my finances, and we start to barter with God, and God is saying, you need, you need to let me be the Lord of your life. See, that's what worldly sorrow produces. Godly sorrow produces repentance. Worldly sorrow produces pretension. It produces pretension. In other words, it's a fallacy. It's fake. It's not real sorrow. It's not, it's not godly sorrow. Whereas worldly grief produces death, is what Paul says. The sorrow of the world, remorse, wounded pride, self-pity, unfulfilled hopes, has no healing power, no transformation power, no saving or redeeming capacities whatsoever. All that does is just make me feel bad, make me feel, okay, I messed up. Yeah, you know, and a lot of times we're sorry because, well, we got caught. And the moment that I'm able to go back and do it again, I will. Because now I know what not to do. 
We have this what if, you know, or I should have. You know, what if I'd have made a left-hand turn instead of a right-hand turn? What if I would not have gone that day? Maybe next time I won't go that, down that street. Maybe next time I won't say this. And it's in the, in the back of our mind, it's, it's this wounded pride that, that just, okay, okay, you know what? Don't bring it up again. I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But there's nothing to back that up. There's no action in this repentance because worldly sorrow only brings pretension. It's one of the things that, that seems to just pop up. And, and I think and what Paul says is, you know, it leads to death. It leads to this life that is just, it, does, it doesn't do anything for you. It has nothing, no salvation. And if you look in the back of your outlines, there's two examples that we have there, and, and they're very well known to you. In, right before Jesus Christ was arrested, Peter tells Jesus, you know, I will never leave you, Jesus. I will even die for you. And Jesus says, Peter, <laughs> calm down. You know, hold on, you know, pump the brakes. Tonight, you know, this, before, this, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And as you know, that's exactly what happened. And the Bible says in Matthew 26, verse 27, as the rooster crowed, and then Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. What did Peter go do? He went out, it says, and wept bitterly. Now, I don't know how you would feel, if the Savior of the world, if, if the Messiah, your teacher, the person that told you ahead of time, this is what's going to happen. And as people came up to him and said, oh, you were with him. No, 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 no I don't know the guy. He says, I don't know him. Yeah, no, no, no. You got the language. I can hear it in your, in your tone. You, your, your voice sounds like one of those Galileans. They would have this and That's how the way they would, yeah, you're a Galilean. No, 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 no. Some lady comes up. He's like, yeah, I saw you. And he stands up and he says, you bleepity blink and cusses around and says, I don't know the guy. And the moment he says that, the rooster crows and he looks over and he says, and Jesus is looking right at him. And it, can you imagine? Jeez. I mean, just the pain, the, oh man, that was, yeah, I, 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 can't, I can't believe I just did that. It would naturally cause us to go out and weep bitterly, contrite, broken, and uh, can I just take that back? You know, Judas had the same experience. As a matter of fact, after what he saw and what went wrong, and, and he made this, he was conniving behind the scenes, met together with the high priests, and they, they paid him 30 pieces of silver, and he says, look, I'll put them into your hands, you guys arrest them, pay me my money, and, and it's, it's done and set, and at the, what happened with him, he says, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. That word changed his mind is metanoia, he repented. He repented as well and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying, I have sinned. He even knew he'd sinned. I, I messed up. Please, you know, stop whatever it is that you're doing. By betraying innocent blood, they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver. And he tried to make reprobations. He says, look, have your money back. Take it back. I don't want it. And they just left it there. As a matter of fact, they used that money and they bought a potter's field and that's where they buried those that didn't have anything to bury themselves with. But his repentance didn't lead to godly sorrow. It led to death. The Bible tells us that he went and he hung himself. He hanged himself. And that's what happens in this worldly sorrow. It brings this type of death, this type of resentment, this type of bitterness, this type of anger, this type of, you know, all these emotions that feed within us because we got caught. Because somebody told on us. Because of what that, beloved, is not repentance. 
Well, it might be changing your mind, but it's not godly repentance. That's pretension. That's pretension. Pretension is pretending that you're sorry and saying all the right words to, you know, come back home after my wife and I have had an argument, to get my job back after all the things that I've done and said and shouldn't have done it said. Look, I'm really sorry. You know, it, it, it doesn't work that way. But I thought you were a Christian, that you were supposed to forgive. Aren't you supposed to forgive? you got to let me in. And, and you see, we, we get forgiveness and, and repentance mixed up. And, and yes, repentance is this. In, well, let me, let me go there first. Genuine repentance. Genuine repentance. And I want you to write these down somewhere. Or you can just circle the ones that you have in your outlines because I've highlighted, that, highlighted those for you. This is probably one of the, most, uh, the best examples and the best definitions of what genuine repentance is. See, Paul says, for see what earnestness. You see, you might want to circle that one as well. Earnestness. I mean, there's this earnestness. There's the desire, this eagerness to, to want to ex- express this godly grief that has been produced within you. See, when Peter was caught and repentant, he went outside, he wept bitterly. You know, he wept and he kept to himself and he didn't talk to anybody. And that Sabbath, he was by himself in a corner. And, and I'm sure everybody knew, Peter, I, I, you know, I can't believe you denied. Why'd you even say anything, Peter? And, and I bet he was just like, just on himself. In the midst of all his beloved, everybody knew what was going on in his life. But he says, you know, I, for, for see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness, there needs to be an eagerness. A godly grief produces this eagerness or for righteousness on their part. It's an eagerness for holiness. It's an eagerness to want to do better. It's an eagerness to make things right, to make restitution, to restore broken relationships, to, to get out of this complacency and to be able to, to stand up and say, look, that will never happen to me again as long as I live. That's the first godly production of this grief. The next one is vindication. Is vindication or, or declare yourself. The, the Bible says that he, they want to declare this out themselves. The word that is used there is ap- apologia, where we get the words apologetics, not to apologize in a sense, but apologetics is the desire or the willingness to fight for what you believe. It, it, it's a, it literally means a speech in defense. It, it describes Paul's defense of himself before the mobs, and, and it's the defense that you make for the gospel. This is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, and this is what it is. And, and the, the Corinthians had a strong desire to clear their name. Yes, Paul, we, we have this eagerness, the desire. To, to, and this is what Titus is telling them. You should have seen them, Paul. You should have seen them. They, they were just, they, first of all, there was the godly grief. You know that they were broken. After they read the letter, they were just like, oh my God, I can't believe we did this. What can we do to make this right? How can we make this right? We want to clear our name. We don't want Paul associating, 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 let me slow down, associating ourselves with that group. This godly grief should bring you to that point where you want to clear your name. You want to clear your name, not because you just felt bad, clear your, uh, the stigma of the sin, but more than that, the sin and the guilt that that has produced in your life. Because any time that we go up against somebody, a broken relationship, when we go against our, our spouses especially, and we say, you know, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. Really? Are you sorry? Well, as a, as a Christian, I need to forgive you. I need to forgive you. However, forgiveness is a must. I have to forgive you. That's just what the Bible teaches. We have to forgive. 
Trust is a different issue. Forgiveness is what the Bible calls every believer to do. And this is one of the problems that people have with, you know, to forgive and to forget. You know, I can forgive, but I can never forget. Well, well you know, if, if you haven't forgotten it or if you haven't trusted them, then don't let them back in. Especially if it's volatile, especially if it's toxic, especially if it's harmful to your health and to your life and to the, 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 the relationship. You forgive a person, but you, you know, there's got to be some repentance. I did repent. No, no. Here's some of the things that need to be in that repentance. Here's some of those things that need to be in that genuine repentance. You, you know, are you willing to clear your name? Are, are you eager to make things right? Third, is there an indignation in your life? It only appears here in the, in the New Testament. Are you indignant about the things that you've done? Not indignant because you got caught, or not indignant or angry because of the things that we called you on. Are you indignant about what you did? Does, doesn't that make you mad? Doesn't that make you mad that you sinned against God and against me? The prodigal son, when he left, he took half his money, squandered it, the Bible says, and as he squandered it, he realized, you know, my father's servants have more and better places to live than I do. I'm sitting here with the pigs wanting to eat their food. And he says, you know, I'm going to go back. And he lay, lays it out this way. First of all, he says, Father, I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. And this is probably one of the things that many people don't realize. Okay, I messed up. I sinned against you. I made you mad. Wait a minute. Back up a little bit. Because your sin is not just against your spouse, your boss, your, your brother, your sister. Your sin is first and foremost against God. And we need to take that and start off there. Are you mad? Are you indignant that you offended a holy God? That you offended your brother? You sinned against God. You sinned against your brother. The fourth thing is fear. The, that's, that's what is part of this genuine repentance. They had a reverential fear and awe of God as the one who chastised them and judges them. The, their, their boldness, sinning, has turned into this concern and, and their boldness that they had. And, and sometimes people don't even care. And, and in genuine repentance, is there a fear that God is upset? Is there a fear? The, the, the fifth thing is repentance needs to result in a longing or a yearning to build this relationship back. Some people get caught. Some people say, okay, I'm sorry, but you know what? I don't have anything to do with you anymore. If you're going to keep calling me all my stuff, you know, forget it. That's not genuine repentance. I said I was sorry, and they said they weren't taking it, so I don't care anymore. Genuine repentance desires, yearns, longs for that relationship to be built up again. The sixth thing is the zeal for holiness. Titus says, yeah, they had the zeal, this, this fear, this longing, the zeal that they had. Paul, you should have seen them. They, they desired to be holy and true, not only to God, but to you. And it was uh, just a thing to see. I'm sure Titus was saying, you know, I was wondering what's going to happen to me. Paul was wondering, what happened to Titus? I haven't heard from him. <laughs> he hasn't called. Oh, yeah, we don't have cell phones. Oh, he hasn't, you know, there's no way of me getting any kind of message from him. And the last thing is the punishment, avenging of the wrong, evidence and the reality of their repentance. You know, I, I, I just want, I'm punished. I'm, I, I want to I make this right. These seven things, beloved, need to be in your repentance. Not only as individuals and spouses and friends, but these seven things, when you commit your life to Christ, when, you, when Jesus Christ says, you follow me, and you start to follow Jesus Christ, repentance involves these things in your life. To say, I'm sorry, 
you know, I'm sorry that I got caught, or I'm so, you know, to say, that's not, that's not repentance. There needs to be a change. Repentance, metanoia. Two Greek words, meta and noia. Knowledge, understanding. Meta is to transform, like metamorphosis. To metamorphosize the, your thinking, to change the way you think. But it's more than just changing the way you think. Okay, I can change my outside habits. I won't drink, I won't smoke, I won't chew, I won't hang out with women that do, you know, or things like that. I just will, you know, stop doing the bad things, stop cussing, you know, I'll go to church, I'll take care of all the outside stuff. Repentance is a change of life, a change of heart a change of attitude, a change of not just thinking differently, but acting and living differently. I need to be reminded that admonition is important in my life. I need to be reminded that it's one of the things that I need to grow, to develop in my walk. It helps me to not only grow my walk, but it helps me to mature my, my repentance and how I repent and how to receive repentance. And, and, and don't get the two mixed up. Yes, forgiveness is a must, but trust is a different issue. Even Jesus didn't trust the people that wanted to make him king. He went right through them. He went around to different places when they wanted to kill him. He he hid from them until the time came, and he says, okay, now I can trust you to do what needs to be done. And that's when they crucified him. And his forgiveness was beyond anything that you will ever have to forgive anybody else. I just, I just can't. I just can't forgive that person. Why not? Well, because you don't know what they've done. Well, maybe not. But I know that you've never experienced the pain and the suffering that Jesus Christ did, yet he prayed for them, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You're telling me that you're bigger than God or Jesus Christ, that you're greater than him, that you can't do what he was able to do? Yes, you can. You just don't want to because that genuineness hasn't affected their life. But admonition is important in my life because it helps me to mature in my joy. The last thing I want to share with you. It helps me to mature in my joy. Look at these verses here, verses 12 through 13. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong. Now, let me pause there for just a moment because we've talked about the one that was doing some wrong within the church. He was the one stirring things up. He was the one that was causing this, this mayhem within the church. He was the one that was uh, bringing in all this outside stuff. And, and Paul says, you got to deal with this guy. you got to deal with him. I know you love him. I know he's one of your own. But you got to really deal with this guy. And so Paul says, I, I, I didn't write you for the sake of that one, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong. And he's talking about himself in third person. I didn't write you to just to deal with him. And I didn't write you to, you know, because of me. That's, you know... That's the furthest thing from my mind. As a matter of fact, Paul said earlier, you know, this is not about me. As a matter of fact, this is about you. And he says, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God, therefore we are comforted. Paul was trying to remind them, look, we should matter to you more than anything else. I'm, I'm giving you this reprimand. I'm admonishing you. I am rebuking you, not because I want you to put your attentions on me, that you can see that we are the ones that are leading you in the right direction. I want you to know that you need to see that after everything is peeled away, after all the hurt and the anger and everything else is taken away, you will see that it is, and he says here, in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. God wants to show you. 
He wants to show you how important your pastor is, how important your leader is, how important the lo- those that love you are. He wants to show you that. But he can't do that when you have this bitterness and anger and all this stuff going on around you. Sin's deceitfulness had caused them to lose sight of their earnestness. Caused them to lose sight of what Paul was, the loyalty and the love for Paul and the truth he preached. They had so been deceived that their outward attitude toward the apostle was inconsistent with how they really felt about him. And all this stuff that was going on behind the scenes just kind of blinded them. And within a church, that happens. Within a body, it happens. And it's happening a lot now more than ever, especially depending on what side of the political aisle you're on. Doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you are, you're on, we should be able to come together under the banner of Jesus Christ. I saw this post on Facebook, which I thought was pretty cool. Instead of uh, Trump 2020 or Biden 2020, it said Jesus 2020. I go, I want that one in front of my house. <laughs> I want that one because that says it all. It doesn't matter. Now, we might have political differences and we want to argue those, those are okay, but that shouldn't be the central focus of the church or of our relationship. See, they had so deceived their outward attitude uh, toward the apostle, and it was inconsistent with how they really felt. So Paul had to bring them to that realization. So it helps me to mature in my joy, the joy of reconciliation. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And it brought, it brought reconciliation. In chapter 5, we learned that Paul says that we are to be ministers of reconciliation. And so Paul already set it up. Paul says, look, we need to be reconciled. We need to get rid of all this stuff. And here's how you do it. Genuine repentance. The Number two, or the second bullet point there, Uh, The first one was the joy of reconciliation. The second one, the joy of unity. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you. There was this unity. There was this desire to want to build that unity up again. Every time that there is unrepentance, every time that there is something going on within the church, it divides and it breaks up the unity. And we have to work at making the unity within the church work and grow. And then he says, last of all, the joy of mutual respect. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. Paul would talk them up. You know, yeah, they're a little bit out there. There are things going on, but man, these guys are solid. These guys, I love them. These guys, you know, when you see them, they'll give you the shirt off their back. I really don't know what's going on, Titus. I don't know why all these things are going on in the church. Take this letter to them. I pray that they read it. And I, you know, I don't want it to hurt them. But if it does, just let them know that it hurt me more than it did them. And, and, and if it has the effect that it's supposed to have, we'll be able to, to have this mutual respect for one another. For, and he says, you know, Titus, these guys are, are just great. They're awesome. Always boasting about the church. I know that I've done that many times about you. Everywhere I go, people show up and they, they sense it and they realize there is a lot of love in this church. Yeah, you never disappoint. You don't, and Paul says, I was not put to shame because what I was talking about was your love and your, and your desire, but, but you know all these things seem to have gotten in the way. And he goes on to say, but just as everything 
we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus was proved true. And his affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice, because I have complete confidence in you. The report came back. Titus says they received it. You should have seen their, their, you should have seen their eagerness their, to clear themselves, their indignation, the fear, the longing, the zeal, the punishment that they put themselves through to try to make things right, Paul. You should have seen these guys. They really understand, and they want to obey. True repentance brings obedience. Not just, hey, I'm sorry, okay, whatever, you know, I won't do it again. And you may never do it again, but... Did you try to make it right? Are you trying to? Are are you, are you realizing that you offended not only just the person but God? And, and in this portion of scripture, as we finish this off, we 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 come to a point where Paul's going to talk about the the generosity and giving and how it is that a church is able to maintain itself and how the 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 offering that is received, uh, the generous offering, refreshes other believers. Our church, we've been this church building has been here for over sixty five years and. We've been here for over 20 years, and we just thank God for the faithful givers within our church that has allowed us to, to move forward in just the things that we've done. God has been so good, and, and he's blessed us in so many different ways. And, and those of you that have been giving on a regular basis, I want to thank you for using the Tidely app or whatever method that you're using. Some people send it in. Some people call, have called me and said, can you come pick it up? And, and it's furthered the kingdom. And, and we're still able to continue to preach and to, uh, and to go forward. And, and one of the things that we found out within our association of churches that we're involved in, is that there were a lot of churches that struggled and some of them had to just disband. And, and it, was, it was difficult. And I, I personally, I, I don't understand why until it was mentioned to me that, well, you know, the, the bad thing was that prior to all this happening, there was already difficulties going on within the church. A lot of these things that we're talking about, that Paul is encouraging us, admonishing us to, to put into practice. A lot of the things that some of the pastors just wouldn't do, just let people do whatever they wanted to do. And so it's, it's hurt the churches. But I mean, as you see, we don't have our pews filled, but we have people that are full of love and continue to contribute. Next week we'll talk about that. We'll, sh- we'll share with you on how that works out and how that plays out within your life, more importantly than within the life of the church. And, but you are the church. You are the called out one. You are the ecclesia, those that are gathering. But right now, if we put these principles into practice, into our own life, first and foremost, because you are the church, then you bring those principles into the body because that is where all of this takes place. And Paul is, is adamant, and he's, he's saying, this is how you know genuine repentance. And this is what it involves. And I pray that somehow that is able to help you and encourage you to do what you already know what's right. Let me ask you to stand. So come to the point of the service where we have our dismissal. Let me ask you to stand and I'll give, the, uh, I'll give Aaron's blessings upon you and your family. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying thus, You shall bless the people of Israel and of North Park. And you shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. We are dismissed. <laughs>